Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. God's ways are different to our ways. There are so many places in Scripture where this is clearly evidenced. For example, it's not just modern world ideology that would say, love your enemies. That's actually taken from our Christian faith. It's the scriptures that teach us to love our enemies. That's God's way. But if we're going to be really honest, the world's way would say, don't love your enemies. Disassociate yourself from those that dislike you. You absolutely, you want to hate your enemies You want to try and get back at those that seek cruelty against you. Yet God's way is love your enemies. God's way would say, turn the other cheek, when our way would say, go ahead and get revenge. God's way would say, forgiveness is really where it's at. Forgiveness is where you will find freedom. And yet the world's way, our way, it wouldn't say forgive, it would say hold a grudge. Hold a grudge gossip about it, talk about it as much as you can. Let's build an army against the person that's done something to scar you. And the reality of it is, is that there's a difference between God's way and the world's way. And it is dangerous if we try and follow God with our way. God is only to be followed according to his way. In fact, I know that there's a huge tension because we're living in an age today that really is all about do what's right for you. Self-care is the most important thing. Like, you look after you. (coughs) Excuse me. Look after you. Take care of number one. Like, you're where it's at. You're what matters the most. And yet, Scripture would say, it's not about any of those things. It's about pick up your cross and follow me. It's about don't live for yourself, but rather live for God's glory. You know, our world today would say, just do whatever feels right. God's way is not about you doing what feels right. God's way is about doing what is right. There's just a difference between God's way and the world's way. So today I wanna speak to you about something that affects us all, but solely from a kingdom perspective. Today I'm not really interested in talking about it from a worldly perspective because there are gonna be many different thoughts, many different views and many different opinions. I wanna talk to you about one particular subject that literally has the ability to ruin your life if you don't get it right. And I wanna present to you how there is a God's way of thinking about this one specific subject. Now, the bottom line, as I would always say, is this. If you're in church today and you're just checking things out and maybe you've been invited as a guest, granted, it's gonna be a little bit of a weird Sunday for you. And I'm kind of so sorry about that because what you get the opportunity to do today is kind of like sneak through the dining room door and just see a conversation amongst the family and you get to observe that conversation. And you're welcome to be a part of that conversation. Absolutely, you completely are. But I'm just saying it might feel a little bit strange to you today. And what I will say is this, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can listen in today and you get off completely scot-free. There is no expectation for you at all. Like, you can leave church today if you're not a Christian and you don't have to do 
anything. Like you could just walk out of here like, hey, what the heck? Not a care in the world, not a worry in the world. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and I don't mean like you maybe attend church. I mean like if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say that you're a follower of God's way, if you say about yourself, I'm a Christian, then what we're going to talk about today is an absolute game changer because it's not something that you can be dismissive of. Today, I'm going to talk to you about one particular area of your life and that of mine too that has the potential to ruin everything or make everything. I want to speak to you about something that actually is one of the biggest causes of stress. It's in fact the biggest cause of divorce. It causes immense amount of tension and sleepless nights and all kinds of crazy levels of anxiety. Today, I want to talk to you about how you manage your family's finance. Today, I want to show you how, if you want to, you can sabotage your family's finance. If you want to know a great way to build a really unhealthy financial life for yourself that's going to keep you up late, that's going to cause arguments, could rupture the family unit, then just do these things that we're going to talk about today. Because the thing about money or finance is this, money will only ever make more of what you are. That's why when some people who might say, I'm broke, I don't have a lot of money, what I need is a load more money. Like if only God would just give me more money, they think that that would be the answer to their problem. It wouldn't at all. And the reason why that wouldn't even be helpful is because money only makes more of what you are. So if you've spent the last 10 or 15 years building really unhealthy habits with the small amount of money that you've got, even if you got the million dollar check, which by the way is probably not on the way, but even if you got that, in a short period of time, you'd only end up at the exact same place where you are today. Why? Because money only makes more of what you are. So if you're depressed now with not a lot of money, I promise you, if you have money added to your world, it doesn't fix your depression. It will just mean that you're depressed, but you have more money. If you've got a drug problem and you add money to that thing, you're going to make that whole problem far worse. If you've got a temper and you add money to that thing, well, you've just got an aggressive tyrant on parade. If you've got a big, though, and gentle and compassionate heart, and you add money to that, what happens is your world gets bigger and more gentle and more compassionate. Why? Because what does money do? It only makes more of what you are. So I want to talk about five things that if you do these five things, they will absolutely be guaranteed to ruin your financial life. I hope that you don't choose to do these five things. I hope that you choose a better way. I hope that you choose a different way. But because we want to keep in line with the series, we're showing you how to wreck your life. We're showing you how to sabotage your life. I guarantee you, if you do these five things, or if you don't do some of them, they will absolutely cause carnage with your family's finances. So if you're committed to sabotaging your family's finances, whatever you do, don't get on a budget, like whatever you do. If you want to ruin your family's money, the worst thing that you could do 
is go and get yourself on a budget because that would actually be a sensible and logical thing. In fact, we're going to find out in a minute how that would actually be a God's way of doing things. But if you're committed to really ruining your family's finance, then whatever you do, don't get on a budget. Don't make a plan for every pound because what happens when you create a budget is you're giving every pound that comes into your life a name. You're allocating exactly where that pound will go. In other words, you're not leaving it to chance. It's not just going to be flitted away, but you are actually preparing what you're going to do with your money. That's what happens with people that are on a budget. But we want to show you how to wreck your family's finances. So don't get on a budget. Because if you do, you're going to know where every pound is going. If you do, you'll actually be in danger of doing the very thing that Jesus said to do. Because in Scripture, in the New Testament, even Jesus says this. He says, who is it that builds a tower and then without first counting the cost, realises that he hasn't got enough money left to complete it, so now everybody mocks you? You know what Jesus was talking about here? He was saying the sensible thing, the smart thing, the God way is to get your family on a budget because a budget is telling your money what to do instead of just looking at where it went. A budget tells your money exactly what it's going to do rather than looking at where it all went. And again, you know, some people, they have this thing, this idea about how, well, if I just had more money, it's going to absolutely fix all of my problems. Do you know that that's not actually how the kingdom of God works? In fact, there's a parable about this. It's referred in the New Testament as the parable of the talents, whereby God introduces to us this principle of how if you're not faithful and if you can't steward what you have well, then God can't entrust you with more. In fact, not only can God not entrust you with more, he'll take away what you have not been faithful with and he will deposit it into the life of somebody that has been faithful. That's the way this works. So when you pray and ask that God will send you more money, He's never going to do that because he's a loving father. And if he deposited more money into your life, if you have a history of not being wise and smart with money, that's not what a loving father would do. It would be dangerous for you. You know, I'm probably going to show off my age here a little bit, but when I was a kid, like maybe 17, 18, all the rage, and they were a little bit old at the time, but you would either buy a Citroen Saxo VTR or you would buy a Ford Escort XR3i. Now, my friend, he bought, and he didn't have a father figure in his life. He went out and he bought at 16 years of age this Ford Escort XR3i. He literally took his driving test about five days after his birthday. He passed And on day six, he went out driving in the XR3i, which is hilarious to me because, like, you know, years ago they were so quick, but now you look at them, they're like 105 brake. I mean, like, a 1.4 diesel has more horsepower than that. But back in the day, an Escort XR3i was the bomb. I mean, like, he had the subwoofer in the boot. He had the thing lowered. You know, he had, like, all kinds of decals on it. He had, like, the, you know, the, the darkened tape on the front headlights to make it look really sinister. And he went out on, like, day six in this brand, well, it wasn't brand new. It was a second-hand car, but brand new to him, XR3i. 
and he wrote it off on his first ever drive and nearly killed him and another one of our friends. Now, here's the bottom line. (laughs) Our youngest son is 17 and he's at that age where he's thinking about driving and we were talking a few months back about like, what car is he gonna get? And he was saying to me, if I save some, will you contribute some? Let me tell you, as a loving father, he ain't getting no XR3i, okay? As a loving father, he's going to have a diesel that has an engine like that of a gerbil that has been smoking 50 cigarettes a day for the past 50 years of its life. I'm telling you, that thing is going to like, it, it is going to wheeze, hoop and cough to get to 30 miles an hour. Why? Because I'm a loving father and I'm not gonna give into his world something that he's not ready to handle. And that's exactly what happens with our money too. Some of you, you have lived broke for years and all you pray is God, give me more money. And you don't realise God can't give you more money because you're not being faithful and you're not being a wise steward with the small things that you've currently got. And the scriptures teaches, if you're faithful in the small things, he, he can entrust you with more things. The second thing that you should absolutely choose to do if you want to sabotage your family's finance, as well as opting out of getting on a budget, is you should absolutely live in debt. If you want to ruin your family's finances, do all that you can to get in as much debt as you possibly can. Proverbs 22 verse 7 tells us that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So if you really want to know how to increase the arguments that you have at home between you and your wife, if you really want to know that's gonna, a way that is gonna increase the tension that's gonna exist between you and your children when your kids are asking you for 20 quid because they wanna go to the cinema and get some popcorn, if you ever wanna know a way that could just increase the levels of anger, aggression and tension and stress in your house, the best way for you to do that is just to live in debt. Like borrow as much money as you want on a credit card. Like buy the couch, but buy it on buy now, pay later. Go away on a holiday, even though you can't afford it, rack it up on the credit card, it'll all work out okay in the end. Use the store cards, because even though they've got a 25% APR, they give you 10% off on your first purchase, over 500 quid. And even though you haven't got 500 quid, it's a deal that you can't miss, right? You should all do that. This is absolutely true. First week of our married life, Emma came home and she came in and she was like so proud and happy with herself. She said, oh, I met this really nice man today at Asda. I was like, oh yeah? She goes, yeah, and um, we spoke for a while. I'm thinking, oh yeah? And then she goes, and I got these for us both. What are they? Well, they were like a store card. I was like, well, you can get on the phone right now and you can cut them up and you can cancel them. We ain't having no store card. Why? Because when you get into so much debt, it's that that stops you from breathing. It's that that reduces the options in your life. When you've got the four, five, six hundred pound a month car payment, like on your earning 25 grand a year, it removes the options from your life. And just hear my heart, right? I don't want you guys to not have good things, great things, or drive nice cars. I have no agenda in controlling what you drive. That would be way too much stress for me to manage. But this is actually what I really want for you. I want you to be in a position where you get to choose what you do with your life. I don't want somebody else counting where your money goes for you because that's what happens when you choose to live in debt. So if you wanna ruin 
your family's finances. If you want to sabotage your family's finances, live in debt. Of course, if you don't want to uh, sabotage your family's finances, do everything you can to get out of debt and get on a budget and get on a plan. The third thing that you've got to do if you want to sabotage your family's finances is you shouldn't foster high quality relationships. This is almost a little bit of a new idea that I want to introduce, but there's so many studies now that point to the data, to this being such a pivotal part into whether or not your life will end up financially strong and successful or not. Because do you know, statistically, it's highly likely that you will end up earning approximately within 10% of the range of your closest circle. In other words, you're going to end up earning in life there or thereabouts, within 10% of all of those in life that you hang out with and you do life with. And we know that this is true because we're all influencers and we all at times are influenced. You know that this is true because isn't it funny how you watch on Netflix the same series and the same movies that your friends watch? Isn't it funny how you'll eat at the same restaurants Isn't it funny how you'll take holidays at similar types of locations? It's because we all know what it's like to be influenced and influencers. And you've got to choose who's going to be in your circle. Like if you want to sabotage your family's finance, make sure you run with some people that when it comes to handling their money, they are like turkeys. They have not got a clue. They are just running around like headless chickens and turkeys. They haven't got a clue. And you will surely ruin your family's finances too. But if you want to get strong, then you need to take a really close look at who's in your circle. Who is it that holds your arms up? Who is it that encourages you when you're down? Is it a voice that says, go on, you deserve a holiday. I know you've not got the money, but you can pay it back over four years, not realizing that next year you're going to book another holiday that you're not going to be able to pay for either. Is it that voice? Or is it a voice of just somewhat more of a conservative tone that says, hey, do you know what I would do? I would throw all of my energy to getting out of debt first and then you can live free and then you can make all the choices that you want to make in life because who you run with is where you're running to. And you know that this is true because you know crazy Kevin that lives on your street and he does drugs and he doesn't go to school. Why is it that you don't want your angelic child to hang around with crazy Kevin? It's because you know that he's going to be a bad influence on him. Yet it's crazy how as parents, we're able to see through the wood and the trees about who would be good for our children, yet sometimes we can't even do it for our own lives. Sometimes we can't even look at who would be good to run with that can help us get financially strong. The fourth thing that you should do if you want to ruin your family's finances, spend all that you have. If you earn £1,500 a month, you should spend £1,500. If you earn £2,200 a month, spend £2,200. Whatever you do, don't invest, don't save for the future, but get rid of everything that you have. Like buy the coat, buy the trainers, do the holiday, eat out, even though you can't afford it. Like you should totally just spend all that you have. The writer tells us, In Proverbs, that in the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. And the author of this was Solomon, who is often 
deemed to be the wisest man that has ever lived. And in the context that he was writing this, there was only two classes of people. There were the aristocracy and there were peasants. There were no middle class. And what this text is actually saying is that in the house of the wise, in the house of people that know how to make good financial decisions, you will find that there is a store, there is a wealth, there is an abundance of choice food. Have you ever wondered what choice food is? It's the food that you get to choose to eat. Like you're not on beans and rice or just doing only what you can. You get to choose what you eat. Like you're on the, you're on the ribeye, you're on the sirloin, you're on the, on the Chateau de Briand. You're like, you're eating out and you're eating the best food and you're consuming the finest wines. Why? Because if you spend all you have, then you'll have nothing to go and play with. But if you save and if you're investing and if you're smart and you're not blowing everything every single month, You'll live in a place that's like that of the house of the wise, where there are stores of choice food and oil. But the fifth and final thing that you should do, if you really are committed to ruining your family's finances, again, through the God view here, through the kingdom lens, not through the world view, but if you're committed at living a crazy Instable, unstable, keep you up at night, financial life, then you should be committed to robbing God. You should rob God. Perhaps it's the best way and it's the quickest way to financially ruining your life. Because if you're serious about committing financial suicide, you should do all you can to the very best of your ability to rob God and keep from him that which actually he asks of us. What do I mean by robbing God? Well, in the Old Testament, there is a book called Malachi. And oftentimes it's a verse that is used by churches, evangelical Christian churches like ours, to talk around an idea or a concept of giving that actually is called tithing. And in Malachi chapter three, we're introduced to this idea about how it is in fact possible for you to rob God. It is possible for you to rob God. And yet what I've always thought about that text is implying or meaning is that by withholding our giving, by not choosing to tithe or not choosing to give, it's almost that is the robbing of God of the money that actually is his anyways. But that's not how I look at this text anymore. I don't think I've ever spoken to you about Malachi 3 around this idea or concept that I wanna introduce to you now. Because what I wanna teach you today is this. When we talk from Malachi 3 about don't rob God, you have to know that whilst it is possible for you to rob God, you have to understand what the robbing from God is actually relating to. Malachi 3 is actually talking about robbing God of an opportunity to bless your life. Malachi chapter 3, the more that I've read into it, it is more about stealing and removing from God the platform or the system or the process through which he works to bless your life. Now, again, can I just remind you all, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways 
are not our ways. So I know that this is not going to make any worldly sense. It's not going to be the popular school of thought, but I'm not here to be popular and neither am I here to adhere to what we think is best according to our own intellect or intelligence. I want to be a pursuer of God's way. So let me read to you Malachi chapter 3 through a slightly different lens considering of how we rob God. Malachi 3 starting in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Meaning, think about an opportunity. Will a man rob God of an opportunity to bless me? Yet you have robbed me. Robbed? What? Robbed me of opportunities to bless you. But you say, in what way have we robbed you of opportunities to bless us? In tithes and offerings. Offerings are when we bring to God almost out of a place of excess in our life and we give to God above and beyond what we would typically bring to him in the form of what is called a tithe. An offering is more about what we do at the end of the year in November time when we take up a legacy offering. That's about excess. It's about an awareness of God, you've been so good and faithful to me. Now I'm going to return to you some of the excess and the abundance that's in my life. That's what an offering is. But the main issue is actually centered around this word called tithe. Now, I know that there are so many of you that are faithful tithers in this church. And for those of you that tithe, I want you to be encouraged by what you open up the gateway for in your life every single week and month that you do this. And for those of you that don't, and I appreciate that there are many of you that do not do this. And I know that for sure, because even when we look at the metrics of where we are this year in contrast to last year, the church has grown by 30%. So there's a whole bunch of people in church today and online that you've never even heard me speak about this concept. And once a year, I'll always try and talk into it. So what is a tithe? If we rob God of an opportunity to bless us by withholding the tithe, what is a tithe? A tithe is 10% of your increase or income. It's not 5%, it's not 8%. A tithe means the first tenth. A tithe is 10%. And what that actually looks like is this. If you earn 500 pounds, 50 pounds of that should be tithed to God. If you earn 1,000 pounds, one-tenth of a thousand is 100 pounds, and that's to be brought to God. Now, a tithe is not a tip. A tip, and many people do this, and yet they wonder why God isn't blessing their financial life. And they live years broke, and they live years having the arguments with their husband and their wife about why they don't have enough money. But what a tip is, and it's so different to a tithe, is a tip is anything that doesn't start with a tenth. So if you earn a thousand pounds a month and you throw 20 quid at God, that's not a tithe. It's just a tip. So what you've got to know is that when you rob God of an opportunity to bless your life, you rob him when you withhold from him a tithe. It doesn't even mention a tip. 
So you, you're throwing your 20 in, going like, God, why aren't you blessing me? You said that you'd open up the windows of heaven. You said that you'd make my life awesome. You said, and you're tipping. You're like, you're earning 2,000 a month and you're tipping 100 quid or you're tipping 50 quid. It's not what a tithe is. So a tithe is the 10th, the first 10%. But the second thing you've got to know about the tithe is it's always what has to come first. So in other words, if you earn a thousand pounds and then you spend all of your money and then you see what's left at the end of the month and maybe there's a tenth left, then if you give that to God, that's not what a tithe is. A tithe is when you choose to honour God with the tenth and you do it first. So you do it before you go and put fuel in the car and before you pay the Asda bill. <coughs> Excuse me. And before you pay the mortgage and before you pay the rent, the bottom line is that's what a tithe is. It comes in first. So for Emma and I, what we do is when we receive our pay, the very first thing that leaves our accounts is our tithe. Baseline of 10%. So it comes in first. But then the third thing you've got to know about the tithe is it comes into the local storehouse. Now, hey, look, I've read just about every piece of criticism going that comes on this subject towards people like myself that preach on this. Let me just say, that word in Malachi that refers to, in fact, have I even read it to you yet? No, I haven't. I'm going to read it to you now because it says this in verse nine. It says, you are cursed with a curse instead of a blessing. In other words, when you withhold the tithe and your offering, you rob God of the opportunity to bless you. So therefore, the default position that you live in is a curse because a life that isn't blessed is cursed. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes, the 10% and the first 10%, but where? Into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now try me in this. In other words, prove it to me, God, that this is real. Prove it to me. Because the location of the tenth that comes in first comes into the storehouse, which in our new covenant is representative of a local church. Now, hear me right. I, I get this, right? I know what's coming online. I know that there are people that will argue and say the tithe is an Old Testament principle, even though they don't want to talk about how Jesus spoke about it and spoke to the Pharisees and said, you tithe, which is what you should do. So it isn't just Old Testament. And then some people want to argue and say, well, the tithe is, you know, it's under the law, it's Mosaic law. No, because in Genesis, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek one-tenth of his increase. That was a tithe. So it isn't just this old old school thing. And people like to say, well, I'm not going to tithe. I'm just going to give what I feel is right. You know, because the New Testament encourages you to give all that you have. I'm not going to argue with you so long as you're giving all that you have and you're not just giving a tenth. Like if you want to go crazy and give 70%, you're welcome to it. But most of the critics and people who say about people like me, you shouldn't be preaching tithing. Ask them this question. In the last two years, what percentage of your income have you tithed? Or what percentage of your income have you gave? Because typically their motivation is loaded. The motivation is so that they can be tight and stingy and live a non-generous life and they can just tip God and put a fiver in. I'm gonna put 20 in here. I'm not gonna live a life that's gonna honour God. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my own thing. But remember, 
God's ways aren't our ways. His ways aren't our ways. The world has a way that will make sense and be logical to you. We don't follow that because we're followers of Jesus. Again, if you're not a Christian, you get off scot-free. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a game changer for you. And now look at what happens when you choose to tithe a tenth, first tenth to the local storehouse. It says, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. Check this out. For your sakes. So in other words, the idea, it's crazy. The idea that I would preach, you should tithe so the church can rob your money is completely counter-scriptural because what God was saying was, I'm gonna ask this of you, but in return for your sake, I am going to make sure that you're gonna be living in a delightful land that you're gonna rebuke the devourer. In other words, there wasn't a cash flow problem in heaven. Like God's not up there going, oh, how are we gonna generate some more money to line the pavements with gold? We're getting a bit strapped for cash. It wasn't his motivation to kind of build heaven or build the kingdom. His motivation was, I need to get something into your world and this is the vehicle that I do it in. This is how I do it. So that, the text goes on, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. In other words, success is gonna come your way, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Why? Because you gave me an opportunity to bless you. So what do I want you to do right now? Well, I'm gonna ask you not to tithe, but I'm gonna ask you to pray and ask God how you should handle your money. The reason right now why I'm holding this little wad of money is I had an amazing conversation with our youngest son, Solomon, just a few months back. And in fact, he's probably coming out with the band right now. Can I grab you for a minute? I'm sorry to like put you on the spot, but you can just come and, come and help me for a minute. So do you remember when we sat on our kitchen worktop and you came to me and asked me to show you with physical money how you should handle your money in a way that was honoring God. Do you remember that conversation? And do you remember how we lined everything up? And can you remember how much was there? 100 quid, yeah. 100 quid. And we got the 100 quid out. Can you remember what we did? Tied the first time. Okay, so we got the hundred and this is what we said. We said, hey, listen, we're gonna figure out a plan for all, the, all of this money, this great big wad, almost all of it is yours. But the first tenth, the first tenth doesn't belong to you. Who does the first tenth belong to? God. And then what did I say to do with the next tenth? Said you're gonna put some in saves. Yeah. And then we said, we're gonna take the next 10% and we're gonna create a savings account and we're gonna put 10 pounds in your savings account. And then what did I say that you could do with the rest of this money? The rest is mine. The rest is yours. You can buy Subway galore. You can buy as many trainers, as many FIFA points, as many other gaming points, as many other PlayStation card points as you want to buy. But can you remember, Sol? Can you remember what we did after we had that conversation? We said that 
give the first tenth to God, God will bless the rest. Yeah. And can you remember what we prayed? Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? And I hope you don't mind me doing this. But Saul has been playing drums since before he could even walk. He's been playing drums since he was like one years of age. And a couple of months back, he came up with an idea because he's been playing for so long and he studies music. He was like, Dad, do you think it would be a good idea if I started to teach drums? And I was like, I think that would be a great idea. So what happened was, is that when he received his cash and we tithed on the first tenth, we prayed a prayer. Can you remember what, we, what the prayer was that we prayed? Yeah, we, we prayed for, for the lessons and for me to get going with, with teaching drums. Yeah, absolutely. We prayed that because we're going to be faithful to God first, before we do anything else, we're going to stand together as a father and a son. And we're going to believe that God is going to, according to Malachi, open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on your life that you cannot contain it. And what that means for you, I think, is that God will create opportunities for you to teach drums, play drums, earn money from drums and do more things that you could ever hoped, dreamed or imagined because it all started with the first tenth. And right now, you know, every single month that he earns money, he brings it to me and we like, we do this thing and we one tenth here and one tenth in savings, rest is his to play for. Thanks, you can go play your drums give him a great big round of applause because I put him on the spot there so I guess really now my question is that you're probably wondering of me is well what am I asking of you what do I want you to do okay so look the bottom line is it's not my place to tell you what you should do because I don't want to control your life but what I do want to do as a local church pastor is I want to encourage you if you're married today not next week, not next month, because I promise you the time will have gone. But if you're married today, have a conversation. Say, hey, listen, do we have a budget? And, and husbands, ask your wives. Wives, ask your husbands. Because my experience of being a church leader is this. Some of you lie to one another. Ask the other party in your relationship, hey, do we like, do we have a budget? Do we save anything every month? Hey, can we get better at who our circle is? Do we tithe? And if we don't, can we pray together and ask God about whether or not this is something that we should be doing? So I'm not asking you to tithe. I'm asking you, you pray to God. You rewatch this message. You go and interrogate the scriptures. You figure it out for you. Because this is how I think what happens with our financial life. I am not a very good gardener, but I have very recently, <sighs> my wife is already laughing. I am like the butt of all of her jokes. That has fast become the trajectory of my life. I have very recently, for the first time, I'll have you know, taken an interest in not gardening, but lawning. Now, I don't know if lawning is even a word. Technically, what that means is I like to mow the lawn. I like to cut the grass, okay? But a couple of months ago, I had to seed my lawn. And I understand that I am opening myself up right now for every meme on the planet to come my way, predominantly by my own kids who are brutal towards my lawning activities. But a few months ago, I made a decision that I was gonna reseed my lawn and I had to scarify it and rake it all up. And you end up with just a great big piece of land that just looks like a mud bath. 
And what I did was I went in and I bought myself a bag of seed and I threw all the seed down and I, I waited about three weeks, four weeks. And what I noticed was, even though I'd been watering the seed, it was really patchy and it was really bare almost everywhere. So I waited a couple more weeks and I noticed again that it was really patchy and really bare. And then I tried to mow it. I don't even know why, because I was mowing mud more than I was grass. Easy, it's my first season at this lawning business. But then all of a sudden I realised that the reason why I wasn't getting the results that I wanted was because I didn't sow the seed at the rate that I was supposed to. You see, on the back of the bag, there's these like instructions. And on the back of the bag, it says that you've got to sow the seed at 35 grams per square metre or more, 35 to 50. And I reckon I'd sowed seed at probably about 15 at best. So I'm now waiting to see the harvest, my lawn, but I hadn't sowed the right amount. And I think that that's really what the tithe is all about. There's a lot of people that you're getting incredibly frustrated with what God is not doing in your financial life. But the reason why He's not doing it is because you've been sowing seed at the wrong rate. You've been thinking that my tip is my warrant card that gets me into any of the rooms in the kingdom of heaven that demands that God would bless me. When God's like, look, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There is a way and I can bring financial blessing to your life, but it starts with you honouring me first. So my simple ask is this, have the conversation. Are you on a plan? Can you save some money? Can you get out of debt? Can you improve your relational circle? And have the conversation and pray, God, do you want us to do this tithing thing? Because if it is, then I'm all in. If it's really of you, then I'm all in. Church time has way gone. Let's stand to our feet. We're gonna pray real quick and then we're gonna worship together. Heavenly Father, I know that today has not necessarily been the easiest of subjects for us to talk about as we have spoken about how we can honour you and be honouring to you with our financial lives. But the truth is, we do not want to build a church where we sabotage our family's finances by not following some of these really simple principles. So Father, today I ask right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, for those of us that are maybe like not trusting of me, God, I pray that you would just encourage them to go and trust another church in the, in the sense that go and, go and tithe, come to this church, but go and tithe to another church. Lord, I pray that if somebody questions our motives, then let them find safety and security in someone else's motives because God, what we're asking for is that you, Holy Spirit, would help, live us, help us all live in the financial freedom that you've set out a principle and a process for us to follow. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.